Yes, hang on to those stones, Dave. I, I thought uh, it, it was their way of trying to up the quality of the messages here. If you don't like it, just throw a rock there. But uh, glad to hear what its proper purpose is. Um, I just want to say a word about this before I get into the message, and that is I want you to keep uh, the Lutz family and relatives uh, in prayer. Uh, yesterday, we had one of the saddest funerals I've ever had to be a part of. Um, David Lutz has been a part of our congregation for about nine years, and on Monday he lost his child, uh, and on Wednesday lost his wife. And so it was a horrendous uh, thing. Uh, you know, the worst nightmare you can imagine became real for him. And um, just keep uh, him and, and the entire family, relatives on both sides of the family, in prayer that God would just be pouring out his peace that passes understanding into their hearts. Uh, the thing that I appreciate is, is this. See, being a Christian does not mean at all, uh, although people do this, uh, it doesn't mean shying away from looking straight into the face of the worst that life has to offer. Uh, you don't have your joy and your peace at the expense of ignoring reality. The peace that passes understanding is a peace that can be there when you're looking head-on at the worst life has to offer. And I'm just thankful that, you know, if I, if I was not a believer, if I thought this life was all there was, then in, in, in my opinion, life would be the sickest, most cruelest, irrational, bizarre, meaningless, pointless, painful joke ever played on anybody. Uh, the end of every story would be tragedy. The end of each one of our own stories would be tragedy. There'd be nothing to remedy the abysmal situation. But to know Jesus Christ is to know that that, that is not a true perspective on life at all. That, in fact, a time is coming when his, his will will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And after days like yesterday, I long for that. To see his will done, his love applied on earth as it is in heaven. Uh, the time when these sorts of tragedies will be no more. Uh, it was never meant to be this way. And even in the midst of the darkest hour, and here's just a little word of encouragement I want to give, uh, to not just to Dave, but to all of us. Uh, it, it, no matter how down deep into the bottom of the barrel you go, and it's a deep barrel, this thing called life can be. When you get to rock, rock, rock bottom, look down, and you'll see Jesus Christ looking up. And, and he's there. He's there. And his presence in our life, even in the darkest, darkest, most unthinkable moment, his love is there already ahead of you beginning to turn it around, already beginning to turn it around. And we just yield to him and let him bring the comfort only he can bring and the meaning out of otherwise meaningless experiences. And I just thank God for that. I thank God for that. But keep, keep that family in prayer if you would. We're to rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Um, I am going to continue this message that we have been doing for six months and maybe doing for another six months because as far as I'm concerned, there's no other message worth preaching on right now. It's the message of love. If we get this down, we get everything down. If we don't get this down, there's nothing else worth getting down. This is Christianity 101, Christianity PhD, and everything in between. It's talking about love. And so we're turning this entire church into a classroom whereby we're seeking to become outrageous lovers. I mean really outrageous lovers. People just love like crazy. The, who, love like, who love in the kind of way. John 17 tells us, in essence, this. 
We're to love in the kind of way that our lives raise the question that only the reality of Jesus Christ can answer, and that's our witness in the world. That's how we're supposed to be living. So we're, we're looking here at 1 Corinthians 13 at the attributes of love. And as a matter of fact, I'm going to preach on the, the same passage I preached on last week. I told you I'm a person obsessed. I know some of you are waiting for me to preach on something novel and interesting like the mark of the beast or the timing of the rapture or the book of Revelation or something, but I'm not going to even think about getting there until we get this love thing down. And even then I'm not going to go there because I don't know a thing about it. But <laughs> At least this is something I'm, I'm learning on. 1 Corinthians 13, verse 5. Love does not insist on its own way. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable and it is not resentful. The reason we've seen it is not irritable and is not resentful is because it does not insist on its own way. Find any point of your life where you're irritable or resentful and you'll find a part of your life where you're insisting that things go your own way. And sorry, but life just doesn't agree with that. But uh, when you live out of a fullness of love, there is a freedom to not insist that things go your own way. So there's a freedom from irritability and a freedom from resentfulness. Now, I'm going to, in the next five minutes here, uh, OD everybody on diagrams. Pictures, I think, communicate sometimes better than words. And so I'm going to just go through a couple of diagrams. Some of this is review, but for those of you who are being brought up to speed... Um, uh, who are new, rather, rather new here, it, it's an important review, and then we'll look at a, a, a different kind of diagram that we haven't seen before. As we've said numerous times, and some of us have seen this, this diagram dozens of times, but in God's original design, He would be the center of everything. He'd be the source of life, the source of love, the source of joy, the source of everything that our heart creates. We are created with a desperate need for Him, and in His And in his design, he would overflow, explode, as it were, with the fullness of joy in being himself towards us, and we'd be the benefactors. And in God's design, he wants to pour the love that he is and the life that he is into us so that we would then become full, and then we would overflow towards others. He celebrates who he is. We celebrate who we are because of who he is. And in doing that, we overflow in celebration towards one another. That's how life was to be lived. The whole thing we saw in Genesis 3 hangs, hangs around, revolves around that which is in the middle of the garden. It's the tree of uh, uh, life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Everything about life, living life the way God intends it, hangs upon our trusting God for his provision, that's the tree of life, and our honoring the prohibition, which is the knowledge of good and evil. We are to uh, trust God to pour his life into us, trust that he's trustworthy, Receive our life, our worth, our significance, our feeling of importance, the feeling that life is worthwhile, uh, the feeling that we're beautiful, that, we, uh, that, that our life is, is significant. We're to get that from God. We're to eat life from Him, and we are not to judge. We're not to play God. We're not to be the ones who lord over other people. That's His job. Don't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. When we fall, that is to say, when we as a race and when we individually rebel against that, what we do is we move to the center of the garden, we invade the center, we become the center of everything. And now since we're not getting life from God, we violate the prohibition, we, we, we start eating of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, but because we're not getting life from God, we are empty. We're empty on the inside. Now what's non-negotiable, what's absolutely certain, as certain as your lungs needing air is as certain as your soul needs life. So you're going to be looking for life. You're going to be sniffing out life. You're going to be scavenging for food. And since we're separated from God, the food we find is all that's around us, the people around us, the events around us, the things around us. And we try to get, we try to f- 
feel loved, feel important, feel like life is worthwhile by what we can get, by what we can touch, by what we can taste, by what we can acquire, by the approval we can get, by the home runs we can hit, by the way that we can sing, or how religious we are, or you name it, it's an idol. The world becomes a stage of idols that we're scavenging for food from. This is living life out of an empty center. It's life in the flesh, it's life in Adam. Now here, I, 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 I want us to change focus here a little bit. Uh, think of life as a circle. This is another way of getting at the same thing, and you'll see what this has to do with love does not insist on its own way here in a second. Life is a circle. Uh, the perimeter of the circle is our environment. It's everything you can see, touch, taste, experience. This is the perimeter of the circle. This is people, it's things, it's events, starting from your body on outward. Okay, That's the perimeter of the circle. The question that we answer in the depth of our heart is, what is at the center of the circle? And depending on how you answer that question will depend on where your focus is regarding the perimeter of the circle. Your attitude towards the perimeter is determined by the center. What's in the center? Okay? If you are in the center, you are empty, you're trying to get life, you're trying to feel important and significant and loved like we all are, your focus, your, your fundamental life orientation has got to be towards the perimeter. This is... This is life to you. Our focus will always be where we think life is to be found. Where your treasure is, your heart will be. If your treasure, if you think the riches, if you think the good life is found in the things and the people and the events, then your focus is going to be on the perimeter and you will be eating of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil because you'll be forever trying to get that perimeter to feed you. You're scavenging for food. You'll be adjusting it. You'll be fixing it. You'll always be discriminating in terms of what you agree with, what you don't agree with. You're always scavenging for food. This is food. This is not food. This person likes me. That person doesn't like me. This person laughs at my joke. This person doesn't laugh at my joke. They think I'm holy. This person criticizes me. They like my hairdo. They don't like my hairdo. Our knowledge of good and evil is for always adjusting the perimeter. That's where our focus is because that's where our life is. We're trying to get get, uh, fed. And where that is the case... You will always be insisting, to some degree at least, that things are your way. Whether you do it explicitly or implicitly, you're always going to be trying to define the center to feed yourself. Or define people to feed yourself. Or to fix people to to feed yourself. Or to fix circumstances to feed yourself. You're always trying to get food, so you insist that it is your way. And where you have that, you will be irritable and you will be resentful because life doesn't agree with that. Everybody else in this fallen world, all the worldlings in this world are doing the exact same thing, so you're competing with one another, and that's irritating. There's, there's friction that's always there. Everybody's scavenging for food, and there's only so much food to go around. Your focus is on the perimeter. You're defined by the perimeter, and you are the definer of the perimeter, and it's an irritating and shallow way to live, and you always are empty. You never get full, but you keep buying the lie that if only you adjusted the perimeter a little bit more... If only the perimeter would go along with your program. If only things were your way, then you could get full, and it's a lie. When you live life, rather, with Christ at the center, now the focus, the orientation is on Christ. Your your, your sense of worth and value comes from knowing and relating to the one who is your creator and gives you life and value. When you get up in the morning, you can feel good about yourself. You feel like life is worth living. You feel like, you know, uh, this is an okay thing. And there's joy that is there. Not because the perimeter is is going well. Maybe the perimeter is really bad right now. Maybe your job is going bad and your health is going bad. But your source, at the center of everything, 
The one you relate to, the focus of your attention is Jesus Christ. And you know you've got love from God, worth from God, value from God. You're his precious bride. You're a, you're a, you're a jewel. You're, and, and so you drink of that, and there's a fullness that you have. And now, now, but only now, can you let the perimeter go. Your focus isn't on the perimeter. So you're facing in the other direction. You're facing towards the center. You can now relate to people out of a fullness that you have rather than scavenging for food. You see, the focus is on Christ. And you see the world, you see God, you see yourself, you see other people as they are in Jesus Christ. And you don't need to be policing the perimeter, negotiating the perimeter, trying to fix the the perimeter, the people, the events, the things in your life. No, your only job is to, out of the fullness of love that you have, if... The only job is to overflow in fullness towards them. The key to all health, the key to all godliness, the key to all freedom from irritability and resentfulness and every other kind of bondage we might have is found in this. Living life with Christ at the center of your focus. Focusing on Christ rather than the perimeter. You can only let go of, of the, the need to police the perimeter to scavenge for food if you are having a strong center. This is true of life. It's true of everything. It's true of art. It's true of architecture. It's true of organisms. It's true of people. It's true of organizations. You are as healthy as you are living out of a center rather than on the perimeter. An organization that is defined by its perimeter is an organization that is defined by what it is against rather than what it's for, and it will be an unhealthy organization. When there's a strong vision, a strong center, a strong purpose... You don't need to police the perimeter. It takes care of itself. Okay, I want to, I, I want to just uh, apply this. I, I want to apply this to the church, and then I want to apply it individually. Applying it to the church, I'll carry on the message we started last week, and then I'll break new ground by applying it to us individually. A lot of churches, uh, or any community that gets its life from religion, is going to be focused on the perimeter, not on the center. It can't be. If you have a community that gets life from being religious, and by that I mean... Life to them, feeling of significance, feeling of worth, feeling okay with God, all of that is about the rightness of their beliefs and the rightness of their behavior. If you're, if you're getting life from the rightness of your beliefs and the rightness of your behavior, you will become hypervigilant about when people don't believe what you believe and don't behave the way you think they ought, ought to behave. And this will be a community that is always insisting on its own way. If you're really going to be Christian, if you're really going to be saved, if you're really going to be this, that, or the other thing, you've got to do it our way. You've got to look like this. You've got to believe this. You've got to feel this. And they're always defining who's in and who's out. There's an us-them mentality that ca- characterizes every religious uh, organization, every organization, every community that gets life from being religious. They set up a perimeter uh, to define who's in and who's out. They're eating of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and they think they are preaching salvation when they're doing it, but in fact, they're preaching the essence of the fall. This will be a community of judges. They're always deciding who's in and who's out. Their focus is on the perimeter. They police the perimeter. These are the groups that divide Christianity into 10,000 different segments because they're always, they're, they're always meticulously and hypervigilantly looking at, does everyone believe the right things, behave in just the right way, and, and, and so on and so on and so on. And if someone thinks a new thought or has a different idea or does things a little bit different, they get furious about it. This is not of God. The way to know what is of God is just to ask them. They'll tell you what is of God because they've defined what is of God. They set the perimeter for everybody. See, it's a community that gets life from religion. Some groups do this in a meticulous way. 
if life is found in feeling, you know, you feel special and you feel different because you're here and they're out there and even though you're not perfect, at least you don't have those sins. If that is life to you, well, really, there's no end to the fun. We can define the perimeter as, as, as finely as we want to. We can get as meticulous as we want to in some groups because there's life in this to them, idolatrous life, but they'll, they'll, they'll get down to, you know, they'll, they'll police everything about a person. I, I've, I've known churches where you, know, you have to ask the pastor if you're going to go on a date. You have to ask the pastor if you can do this. And, and, and everything is defined for you. The church I was saved in, um, you know, Dave, wouldn't you say that they, they, they kind of police the perimeter pretty good? I mean, they knew exactly who was in and who was out. It's us and them. If, if you smoke, you're out. If you don't smoke, well, then at least that's one evidence that you're in. If you, uh, you know, drink, you're out. If you don't drink, you're in. If you dance, you're out. If you don't dance, you're in. If you go to movies, you're out. But if you don't go to movies, you're in. Uh, women, if you wear makeup, you're out. But if you, uh, if you don't wear makeup, then you're in. If you wear a hair a certain way, you're out. If you wear a hair a different way, you're in. Men, if you have hair on your face, you're out. Uh, but if you uh, don't have hair, if you shave all the time, then you're in. Jesus would have been out in this group, I guess. Uh, there, there's just... There's no end to it. I mean, there's no end to it. If you worship a certain way, you're out. If you worship a certain way, you're in. And the rules go on and on and on and on and on. And all the while, they're eating of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, doing it in Jesus' name, thinking it's righteous when it's the essence of the fall. They're playing God. They're they're just setting up the perimeter. And it's totally, totally, 100% arbitrary. The people believe that this has, it, it comes right out of the Bible. When in fact, it's the most selective, self serving. Uh, application of the Bible you can imagine. Major stuff that the Bible talks about is not even addressed. You can be, you can be in these kind of groups, as I said the last week. Uh, you can be a, you know, a total overeater and you're in, but if you're gay, you're out. Or if you smoke, you're out. The Bible doesn't say anything about smoking. It says less about being gay than it does about overeating, but it doesn't matter. This group, since most of them overeat, well, then that, that's okay, and so you're in. But since very few of them are gay, uh, then, then that's one of the ones that go out. It's totally self-serving. A community that does this becomes a community of, listen to this, religious parasites that suck, that they get life by sucking life out of other people, the very people they're supposed to be ascribing unsurpassable worth to. You see, it's a community of, of religious parasites. And this is why Jesus confronted it in strong, strong terms. That's what he's doing all the times with the, the, the uh, Pharisees. In, in a community like this, you trust rules to change people, not relationships. Not the relationship with the Lord or the real relationships we have with one another. Rules uh, do all the job. The perimeter does the job. And you're forever policing the perimeter. I submit to you that a, a community that is living out of the center doesn't look anything, anything at all like that. Someone uh, asked me some time ago, uh, they're getting a little worried about this love message, you know, and, and I, I, I understand they, I think, have a background where they got life from the perimeter. And this person sniffed out that what I'm calling for is a total uh, annihilation of the perimeter. And this was wor- worrying this person. They, they were saying, you know what, if, 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 if you apply this consistently, have you thought about this? If you start applying this consistently, then you know what, uh, you, you're not going to know who's in and you're not going to know who's out. It'll be total chaos. And I go, praise God. <laughs> praise, praise God. He, he said, you know what, you, you, know, you, you mentioned this six foot two transvestite. Well, you could have transvestites coming in all over the place here. And you're saying that we're not supposed to police one another. We're not supposed to judge one another. So no one's supposed to tell them that, that they disagree with that unless, unless uh, they invite them in. Well, they could be coming here for months before anyone says anything. We're just supposed to hug them and love them and accept them. And I'm going, praise God, you're getting it. <laughs> okay, you're starting to get it. Okay, you're moving in the right direction. You see, and this person was saying, you've got to have a standard. A litmus test, some kind of perimeter to know who's in and, and who's out. 
And uh, uh, you see, but, but the thing is this. If we're going to do that biblically, you want to do that? Okay, let's start with lustful thoughts, idle thoughts, speaking words against one another, being self-righteous or being self-righteous because you're not self-righteous. And you start defining the perimeter. And you know what? If you're going to have a perimeter, we're all out. We're all out on the street. None of us are around here. If you're going to do it consistently, every perimeter that people set up is self-serving. It's utterly arbitrary. It's selective. It's eating of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And it is the root of all sin and the root of all that evil. And if Jesus does anything in coming to 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 earth, if he does anything in dying for the cross from us, if he does anything in freeing us from the devil of the power, it's freeing us from that kind of thinking. Don't be defined by the perimeter that you set up. Be defined by the center. And the center is Jesus Christ. This outrageous explosion of life-giving, grace-giving life that flows from the cross of Calvary into each and every one of us that transforms us and revolutionizes us. But our, our, our focus, our attention is not on the perimeter. Who's in, who's out? Who are we to say that? A lot of people who look like they're in are actually out and people who look like they're out are actually in. Jesus taught us that. But our focus is on Jesus Christ, the one who gives us life. And we just receive that life, live in that life, give that life, and celebrate all who are here. Praise God. Destroy the perimeter. Hallelujah. And I know, I know that when you get that, you got a, you got a community that doesn't look very much like church. But you know what? you got a community that looks a whole lot like Jesus. Because wherever Jesus is walking around, the Pharisees are over there saying, where's the perimeter? And, and, and while Jesus is walking around, he's got the tax collectors and, and the drunkards and the gluttons and the, and the prostitutes following him all over the place. And they're just saying, where's the perimeter? Where's the perimeter? And, and, and Jesus is just saying, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Uh, come unto me. And whoever is hungry, come unto me. The one qualification for being here, you want one perimeter? It's this. Are you hungry? Are you hungry? Do you know that life as you're living it now isn't working for you? Do you sniff out a little bit of life and a little bit of love and a little bit of worth in the message that's being preached here? And if you're hungry, I don't care what else you look like. I don't care where you've come from. I don't care what's going on in your life. Just follow your nose. Uh, to the center. You're looking in the same place we are. And the only difference between me and you is that there is no difference. We're sinners uh, that have unsurpassable worth. And I'm just here to tell you, I found, I found the source. I found the life. I found the love. I found what you're created for. I found the air that your spiritual lungs are supposed to breathe. Do you want to walk with me as we face the center? Praise God. Community without a definable perimeter. That's, that, that, that's, that is a healthy community. Uh, I, the person asks, what holds together? How do, you know, how do you go in a direction? If everybody's at different places and everyone's just loving everybody, this kind of love fest that you're talking about, well, then how do you move in a certain direction? If you're not defined by the perimeter, what defines you? And the answer is the center. The center defines us. Let me lay out very quickly four things here that, that really uh, hold together a community that is looking like Jesus Christ. At the center of it is Jesus Christ. Okay, Jesus Christ is the center. He, he's the one thing we have in common. Our focus is on Jesus Christ, which is why it doesn't have to be on policing the perimeter and wondering about and being nervous about who's in and who's out and all these other kind of things. The center is Jesus Christ. And so we focus on him. We're moving towards him. Then there is number two, the Holy Spirit. The job of the Holy Spirit is to keep us pointing towards the center, growing towards the center, growing in Christ-likeness. I know that anyone who's hungry, the Holy Spirit is working in their heart. I don't have to see it. I don't have to police it. I don't have to investigate it. I don't have to question it. I can just, in faith, believe that, that the Holy Spirit's working in your life. The same Holy Spirit is bringing us all in the same direction. If you're walking in the Spirit, 
then the, 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 the community is going to be going in the same direction. And other people who aren't working in, walking in the Holy Spirit, that's fine, but I don't need to police that because I'm walking in the Holy Spirit and I'm going in this direction. And maybe later on they'll come around. I don't have to worry about how much or how little you're yielding to God. How can I possibly know that? Because, see, what he has to work with in your case is maybe very different than what he has to work with in my case. My background, my struggles, my ambitions, my, my degree of yieldness, you know, maybe it's very, very different from yours. So I can't infer or even wonder about the degree to which the Holy Spirit's working in your life on the basis of what I see. I don't know diddly squat on the basis of what I see. What I do know, though, is the Holy Spirit's working there. And that will, that will bind the whole community together, centered on Jesus Christ. A third thing that, that uh, uh, leads us. Oh, by the way... When people feel the need to police the perimeter and to investigate people and to share uninvited uh, insights into people, when you think that, if you, that people will only change if we police them and confront them and maybe shame them, then what you're really saying is you just don't trust the Holy Spirit, do you? You don't trust the Holy Spirit. You can do the job better than God, apparently. James says that when you do this, when you judge another, you're judging the entire law. And the reason is because you think the law is not good enough. Uh, you think God using the law isn't good enough. You're going to play God's job, and you're going to help God out a little bit, thank you very much, by policing the perimeter and telling people, finding the specks of dust in their eyes, well, you've got two tree trunks sticking out of your own eyes. You see, your job is to ask, be asking God, look at the center, focus on the center, and let the Holy Spirit take the tree trunks out of your eyes, and trust that God's doing the same in other people's lives. But that's at his pace, at his timing, in his way, as he works, works with them, you don't need to be worrying about that. Your job is to ascribe unsurpassable worth to them, period. The third way is through leadership. The community, as God designed it in the, in the New Testament, it goes in a certain direction because of leadership. Uh, a vi- God gives a community a vision for what he wants that community to be. It's the way, it's what we're going to look like as we move towards the center. And we never totally get there, but this is the direction we're headed in. So we have a vision for the church. And through the preaching and the teaching of the word, you preach the word without compromise, you preach it boldly. Hungry people who have come to listen, you're here, by virtue of your being here, you've given me permission to speak into your life to this extent, and I will speak it. So you preach the word without compromise, you preach it boldly, you preach it you know, fearlessly, you preach it as you, as you see it, and people give you the permission to do that by virtue of being here. Now that doesn't mean that now I have permission to, you've invited me in the foyer, now I can get to go in your bedroom. I, I, I don't have permission to start uh, policing you to wonder, are you applying it, what about this, what about that, and we don't have the permission to do that with one another unless the person invites us. You see? But the job is to just hear the word and apply it to our life, and the Holy Spirit is doing that in each one of our lives, and, and that's what we focus on. I worry a little bit on people who are forever saying to themselves, gee, I wish so-and-so heard this message, or that person really needs to hear this message, or that person should hear it. my husband should hear this message, and what I want to say sometimes is, maybe you need to hear the message. You know? uh, and, and they mean well in doing this, I understand the heart, and, and it's not always an inaccurate thing to say. But the thing is, is, the job is for you to stay focused on the center and be asking, Lord, how can I grow? How can I grow? Holy Spirit, apply this to my life. And the Holy Spirit, as, as you see fit, apply it to other people's lives. But our job is not to police that. We also model. The leadership needs to model. And that's why leaders, those in leadership, depending on what level of leadership they're at, need to have a life that is further along in terms of developing than what you would ask of, 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 of there is a, a sort of perimeter around leadership because there's qualifications that are there. We teach not just by what we say, but also by who we are. Now, that doesn't mean leaders are perfect. There aren't any perfect leaders. Uh, and so you model vulnerability as well, but there's a level of maturity that you ask because to, to shepherd sheep, you've got to be a little bit of, of head of, of sheep. 
But having done that, you put out the principles and let people apply them, and we don't need to police one another in terms of how is that person applying it. Didn't they hear that message or, or what have you or whatnot? And the third thing is community, as, as Kevin talked about th- this morning. And by community, I don't mean a large gathering like this. I mean people whose lives are interwoven with one another. And as, as you grow in the Lord, this is why we hold this up as such a value. We need people in on our life who get to know the particulars, who know the story, who know the struggles. And the job isn't for them to police you. The job is for them to put their arm around you and say, let's walk together. We're all walking in the same, uh, same direction. And now it may be that you trust a person enough to invite them in, to ask them, will you help apply this to my life? Here's, I want to grow in Christ-likeness, and here's an area I'm having trouble on. And, 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 and out of love, not out of judgment, we wash each other's feet by living in community and walking with each other. That's what holds the community of Christ together. We're all moving in that direction. But it's not defined by the perimeter. It's defined by the center. If you're here this morning, what I know is that you're probably hungry. Otherwise, you wouldn't be here. And I thank God for that. Uh, As I look at this audience, I don't know 99.9% of 99% of you. Uh, And that's fine. I thank you for giving me the permission to speak straight into your life. I don't do it to judge at all. I just do it because this is the word of God and this is what is straight. And thank you for being here. Um, and I'm going to trust the Holy Spirit is, is, is working in your life. But I don't need to know anything else about you. I don't need to worry about you. I don't need to, to be suspicious about you. I don't need to question you. I don't need to, and no one else needs to do that either. We're just glad that you are here. Uh, what we see is utterly irrelevant because what we see can be very deceiving. A person can look really together and actually be a total mess. And a person can look like a total mess and have it more together than the person who looks together because they're not spending the energy trying to cover it up. You see, appearances mean nothing. What matters is that you're here. We thank God for that. We know this about you. I know this about you, and you know this about me. You are a vile sinner. It's so bad that Christ had to die for you. But you are here with unsurpassable worth, and I agree with God on that one because he died for you, and that's all I need to know. Whether you look skinny or whether you look heavy, it does not matter. Whether you look religious or non-religious, whether you smell like smoke or you smell like too much perfume, uh, you know, whether you eat too much or you struggle with eating too little, you know, whether you're a regular church attender or not, whether you look like your marriage is together or you look like your life is in shambles, it doesn't matter. Whether you, whether you worship extrovertly or you don't look like you worship at all, you know what? I'm just going to trust God to be working in your life. Praise God. And I want to just bless you with an outrageous love, and I don't need to have any other thoughts about it. Thank God that you're here. We rejoice that you're here. It's the only thing that matters. We're all in different places. Defined by the center, not the perimeter, which means we just don't insist that it's our way. God's got your way of growing you. Don't insist that it's that way for everybody because people are radically different. Your only job, except insofar as you develop a real relationship, is to ascribe to them unsurpassable worth. That's a healthy community. Now let's talk about a healthy individual. Same principle applies. Being defined by the, the, the center, not the perimeter. A person who's defined by the center has a, is centered on Christ and has Christ living within them and is living out of fullness. They'll have healthy boundaries, but they don't live their life trying to get life from those boundaries. The boundaries happen as a natural, as you affirm the worth that you are, then when people violate that, you simply say, wait a minute, you know what, you're, you're, you're violating my boundaries. But, but they don't live with a focus on the perimeter. They live with a focus on the center. God is defined for them in Christ. They are defined in Christ, and everyone else is defined in Christ, and they live in that. And the perimeter takes care of itself. Why? Because there's no food there. 
to, to have be centered on Christ, to be getting worth in Christ, to be walking every day knowing that you're loved and, and, and that you're, you have all this worth and significance and you're important to God. Living in that, all of a sudden, that scavenging for food kind of life, examining the perimeter, worrying about what people think about you and all of that, all of a sudden it seems so dead. It, it loses its attractive aroma, so you, you're no longer hypervigilant about that. But now if you're living as an empty center, you can't help but do that. Life is found in the, in the perimeter, and so you're always going to be negotiating the perimeter, trying to define the perimeter, trying to get life from the perimeter. And where you're trying to get life from the perimeter, now note this, the, since you are the one who's defining it because the world is centered on you, this is air to your spiritual lungs. You can't help this. You may hate this about yourself, but you're still going to do it because this is non-negotiable. As you define the perimeter, there's always a supposed to that you live in. How life is supposed to be. Why? Because you've taken the authority, eating from the knowledge of good and evil, you've taken the authority to define it. So you have this supposed to, and you're always trying to get, you're always trying to adjust things to line up with your supposed to, to feed the emptiness in your heart. Husbands are supposed to be this way. Wives are supposed to be this way. My kids are supposed to be this way. Aren't Christian homes supposed to be this way? Aren't churches supposed to be this way? Aren't pastors supposed to be this way? Isn't life supposed to be this way? And we have this world of expectations working with our omniscience mechanism that we impose on everything. And it's very irritating and it will make you resentful because life just isn't going to agree with that. Who made you the Lord of supposed to's? (laughs) You did. But everyone else is doing the same thing, so how do you think we're going to get along? You see? And herein lies all the divisions that take place. For some people, it becomes an absolute compulsion. It's their main strategy for life. Now, you need to know that there's also, there can be a medical component to people with compulsive disorders that needs to be treated medically. That can aggravate a strategy for life that's already there, or it can be there even without that strategy for life. And that's a different thing. That, you know, if, if you find that you need to wash your hands 100 times a day, there's, you've got to look at a medical thing there, okay? In a fallen world, sometimes physically and, and, and uh, mentally, we, there's things that just don't work right, so you've got to take care of that. But I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about what is a pervasive strategy for life. For some people, this becomes the main strategy to fix the perimeter, to control the perimeter. And now everything they do has got a rule attached to it. Everything they do. It's like that congregation I told you about, but it's now individuals. They have a supposed to that attaches to everything. There's, there's, there's a right way and a wrong way to brush your teeth. Did you know that? And there's a right way and a wrong way to cut your, your steak, and there's a right way and a wrong way to fold the napkin and to do the dishes and, and uh, to, to, to do the wash and to mow the lawn and, 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 and everything. There's, there's, there's a right, right, wrong way to do it, and they are very irritated when you don't do it their way. You know, it's... Lord forbid that you would, you would you know, have your own way of loading the dishes. It's like, no, 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 you're supposed to do it this way, this way, that way. You know. And, and it, they drive people crazy. They drive themselves crazy. It's, 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 a, it's a sad kind of a situation. I remember a, a woman that I took care of in a nursing home when I was a teenager. I worked in a nursing home for a while. And uh, she, she was just a, an absolute control freak. Everything, everything, everything had to be just a certain way. And her husband, the poor man... 45 years old. He was a non-person. I mean, I'm serious now. He, was, he didn't exist. He was a non-person. He, he had no thoughts on his own, made no decisions on his own. He just was, was yes, dear, yes, dear. And, it's a, and, and, he, and, and all the time she was like, no, no, I said do it this, this way, this way. It, we would sometimes test her. We would, we would adjust a, a, a picture in a room <laughs> to see if she would notice it. I know. I was a teenager. 
and just wonder how long will it take. And she'd be outraged. Who touched the picture? The picture's not right, you know? Uh, the, 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 teeth, the toothbrush had to be to the left of the toothpaste. It couldn't be on the right of the toothpaste, you know? And, and the, the, the rugs had to be adjusted a certain way. It's a sad kind of situation. Some people, it's their main strategy for life, and they become compulsive about it. For others, it's, it's just a kind of a general tendency that is there. But it all is a result of living out of emptiness. And that emptiness may be loneliness or the emptiness may be fear, but it causes us to want to control the perimeters, to police the perimeters, because we fear what might happen if we don't. We can't trust God. We can't trust people. We can only trust ourselves. So you try to control it. Now you're not walking in love at all. You're walking in emptiness. The reality of the situation is this. We can't control people. We can kill them by trying to control them, but in the end, we can't control them. It's not our job to control them. We're acting like God when we try to control people. In fact, we're outdoing God because God doesn't control people. God made people free, amen? God made them agents. You know what? People are meant to think on their own, to have their own perspective, to make their own decisions, to feel their own feelings, to do things their own way. And we are called to influence in love, to ascribe unsurpassable worth to love. We can influence decisions. And with kids, you've got to exercise more influence. But the older they get, the more you've got to have to realize that they're individuals. And they may do it differently than you. If God gives people space to make mistakes, we've got to give people make, uh, space to make mistakes. Because we make mistakes, who are we to not give them that space? If God gives people the freedom to think on their own, we've got to give people the freedom to think on, on their own. We can influence, but we cannot control. If God gives people space to do it their own way, we've got to give people space to do it their own way. We're not God. We've got to let it go. We can't control others, not in a healthy way, and it's, it's not loving when we try. In fact, when we try to control others, usually the, the thing we're trying to avoid is the thing we bring about. No, notice this. The thing we try to avoid is the thing we, we, we often bring about. That which I fear has come upon me, like Job said. I knew a husband one time, to give one illustration, who was a normal guy when he was dating his fiancée, and then when he got married, he turned abnormal, as often happens. Isn't that true? And um, he then tried to control his wife. He had some fear. Marriage meant something to him that was very, very fearful. And he was just convinced that his wife was going to cheat on him, going to leave him, going to, you know, all these other kind of things. And so now he tried to control her. He, he, uh, he was always paranoid that, that she was just on the verge of having an affair and, and going to do this and going to do that. He would always call up on her. He tried to make her, like she was some kind of pet or something, make her call in. You know, like on an hourly basis to report where she was. And then he sometimes would want a witness to confirm that. And you cannot do marriage like that. Without trust, you got zero going for you. You know, unless you're, unless you're given space for the other person to be a person, you're not married to a person. You're turning them into a robot, and most people are going to resist that. And what happened here was that this lady actually ended up having an affair. I am not justifying that or excusing that, but I am saying that I don't think for a second it would have happened if he wasn't so paranoid about her having the affair. The, the very attempt to control her almost pushed her to escape doing that. And I think there was a little bit of retaliation going on there. I'm a person, and I'm going to prove it by, 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 by doing that. We can't control. We're not supposed to control. We're supposed to. Our job is not to fix people. We can influence, but our, our job isn't to fix our job is to love, to ascribe unsurpassable worth as a person is. And you can't love them as they are if you're getting life by trying to change them to be something different. 
You cannot love them as they are if you're getting life by trying to change them to be something different. You'll find if you just love them as they are, that's the best way to grow them into be something different. That's what God does with us. That's what we're to do with each other. You give space. You don't control. Life is like a river. It's a wild river. You, we influence the flow, but we do not control it. And the sooner you learn how to flow with what you cannot do anything about, the better off you're going to be in life. Not insisting that it's its own way. The river is smooth sometimes, rough the other times. It flows in our favor sometimes. And as some found out this week, sometimes it flows radically against our favor. But either way, our job, you can't stop the river. Let it go. You can't stop it. You can influence through prayer, through love, through action, but you cannot control it. No matter what you do, most of life is outside of your control. Let it go. Let it go. Just love in the midst of what is instead of trying to fix and change it to something that it's not. How do you get free to do this? I'll just say two things here in closing. One, as I've said, well, the first thing is to repent. To repent. Everything in the Christian life begins with repentance. And repentance is not a feeling of being contrite or sorrowful or guilt. Uh, people use it that way these days, but that's not true. Repentance is a decision. The Bible always talks about it as that. You simply turn. It means to turn. Turn from your controlling tendencies. Turn. That just means realize it's not working. Realize it's hurting. Realize you're not respecting the other person as a person. To ascribe unsurpassable worth to another person is to ascribe to them the right to think and feel and act on their own. Okay? And if, if you're trying to always fix them, you're not doing that. Realize that and release it. Just let it go. Just let it go. And then number two, as you turn, focus on Christ. Let Christ be your life. As, until your worth and value and importance and, listen to this, security is found in knowing Jesus Christ as the central reason why you live, until that happens, you will invariably, by tomorrow morning, go back to policing the perimeter. Because that's the only food you know. You're scavenging for food and you'll be trying to control people. Find life in Jesus Christ. It might look like this. I'm, I'm going to be teaching a seminar on this, cataphatic prayer. But here's one way of doing it. In, 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 in prayer, talk to the Lord. Imagine the Lord in front of you. Picture him right there. See the love in his eyes. And hear his loving words as he, as he tells you all the things he's already said about you in Scripture. I love you. You are a precious jewel. You are my precious bride. You ravish my heart. You are altogether lovely. I, 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 uh, I, I, I died for you, and it was joy to do it because you are so precious to me. And let him just lavish love on you. You cannot possibly hear that too much. Just soak it up. Let that be life to you. And in the morning, remind yourself of that. In the afternoon, remind yourself of that. When you go to bed at night, go to sleep thinking about that. Learn what it is to focus on the center and get life from Him, to live out of fullness. And as you do that, you'll find you're able to release the perimeter. You might find the Lord say something like this. You know, let me be God. I really do it better than you. You're not the fixer of people. You're not the fixer of people. Leave that on my shoulders. You can influence do it out of love, but let me fix people. Your job is to love them as they are. Let me shoulder the responsibility of the world. And by the way, it really doesn't matter whether the toothbrush is on the right or the left of the toothpaste. Let it go. Let the Lord talk to you like that. And see, as you get life from Him, you're empowered to let it go. Okay, I can let people be people. I can take risks again. 
I can begin to live again. I don't need to be policing that. Just let it go. Can you close your eyes to pray? Very quickly, I want to give an invitation here. Is there anybody here who has never accepted this wonderful, beautiful, loving Savior who died that you might be in eternal relationship with Him? And if you'd like to accept Christ right here and right now, I'm going to take 30 seconds to do this. Would you just stand up? I want to invite you into the kingdom. Stand up where you are. Anybody here at all, just stand up and uh, I'll pray a prayer with you. Just be bold. I'll take 15 seconds more. Just stand up. Maybe the Lord's been talking talking to you throughout this message. Maybe uh, maybe your issue is control. Maybe it's not. It doesn't matter. But you know that you're hungry. You've been living out of an empty center, and now you need that life I've been talking about. Anybody here at all? One last call. Just stand up, and I want to invite you into the kingdom. I'm going to pray that everybody here... Oh, sister. Wonderful. Anybody want to join her? This is how we all come to the Lord. You take a stand. Be bold. Stand and be counted. Another, another lady. Wonderful. Anybody else? Anybody else? You know you need the Lord. Maybe you walked with Him for a while before, but now it's gone. You need to recommit your life to Him. Well, just stand up. Amen. In the back, another. Another. Praise God. Amen. Wonderful. Oh, the Lord is so delighted by this. Those who are standing... I want you to pray this prayer after me and we'll join with you. It is the simplest prayer in the world, but it begins that relationship. The umbilical cord between God and you is going to be established with this prayer. All right? So pray this from the depths of your heart and we'll all join you. Heavenly Father, you are God. You are the center of everything. But I have not lived acknowledging that fact. I've lived for myself. I repent of that. And I ask you, Lord, to forgive me. I ask you, Lord, to live in me. I ask you, Lord, to give me your life. I want to live for you. And so I surrender everything over to you. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you folks who are standing. That's wonderful, wonderful, wonderful wonderful praise God now you who were standing or others maybe who didn't stand but still prayed that for the first time Kevin said some seed was sown on gravel and it it started to take root but birds came along and ate it the devil hates what you just did you need to get uh, some teaching around you some community around you you took a bold step here this morning I want you to ask to do one very much of a less bold step right now And that is, as we're dismissed, would you come up to this table over here? We have some literature to give you, some information about how to get plugged in, how to grow in the Christian walk, things you can do to really begin to develop to be all that God knows you can be. Would the prayer team come forward? And if you have any need uh, at all that you'd like to have prayed for, we encourage you to come forward and spend time in prayer. Otherwise, go forth, get life from Christ, and love out of fullness every person that you're going to encounter. In Jesus' name, amen.